Welcome to the Lola Community Podcast. In this podcast, we will have questions, quotes, and conversations between different people, and your host will be Pleasant Selecki. Thank you. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, guys. It's Pleasant. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. It's really such a blessing and such a wonderful part of um, our community and the work to be able to do this with you. If you love our podcast, I'd appreciate if you would share it with a friend, write a review, share on social, um, really helping us spread the messages and the wisdom and the teachings of our lovely, beautiful, authentic community. You can also support the podcast financially right here on the Anchor app or in iTunes, and you can leave me a voice message. I'd love to hear your voice. Chime in, give me a comment or a question. Send our guests um, a question. Send Sailor for her meditations a question or a comment or feedback. We love, love, love hearing from you. Thanks so much for all your support. And uh, Om Shanti, peace to you all. Hello, dear beautiful angels. It's Pleasance here. And today is an in real life podcast about people pleasing, about boundaries, about relationships, and the reality of um, evolution as a human as you expand and clarifying some of the roles and the ways that you have been in your life, ways I've been in my life, and just an open conversation, a questioning about boundaries, people-pleasing, and relationships. So here we go. I'm going to start today with a quote from my friend Randy Buckley, who has been on the podcast. If you haven't listened to her episode, please go back and listen to it now. Um, And here's the quote that she says, hey, people pleasers, your job is not to fix everything. Your job is to live what you value and turn those values into verbs. Woo-wee. I deeply respect Randy Buckley. I respect the way that she is so loving and compassionate and intelligent and kind and speaks clearly to my heart and to some of the ways that I have been that are not really working um, anymore, shall I say, or that I'm becoming more aware of. So let's start with a story. A few years ago, um, three years ago, actually, while I was working on my book, my mentor, publisher, coach, Angela Loria, um, she said to me on a coaching call, Pleasance, you are a people pleaser. And until you say something that someone argues with um, or you say something that they defend or you say something that (laughs) makes someone upset or have um, a not feel good emotion, then you're still in people pleasing. And what she was saying was that she noticed um, like a real effort and trying on my part to say the right thing and do the right thing and be the right good person. And she said, you know, when you finally get to a place where someone argues with you or someone pushes back, then I will know that you have broken through people pleasing. Uh, So that was an interesting conversation. In some ways it hurt 
because it was true. In some ways, I'd never heard anybody say that before. So I didn't understand what she meant because it felt like a new concept. You know, and in my mind at the time, I was thinking, does that mean I should post something controversial on Facebook and let people attack me? Like, I was also trying to figure out what that really looked like. Like, what does it mean to stand up for yourself and your boundaries and what you value and how you speak in the world, um, in what platforms, you know, relationships and beyond. And what does that look like and feel like to the point where you act, where someone else actually doesn't agree with you, where someone else actually, um, maybe states a different value or a different opinion. And then how do you deal with that? So people pleasing for me, and I'll just speak from my experience. I'm not the expert in your life, just mine, (laughs) um, is that I, I can be very straightforward and I can be very blunt and clear. However, after that, I have to make things all better. And so what I mean by that is that I will, you know, in lots of professional situations when I was teaching and other situations, I would say things, but then after I would have to try to make it all better because I wanted it all to end sort of tied up in a bow. And as I've been exploring people pleasing and boundaries and really what I value and what my life looks like, especially sober, (laughs) um, things are kind of changing. I have done some speaking up for myself, for things I believe in, race, class, gender, weight, uh, schools. Um, I don't really get involved in the political conversation. Not, I don't really, I don't get involved in the political conversations, partly because I really usually don't have enough information. Um, also, I live with, my husband has very different views politically, Um, and I have seen, uh, you know, my family of origin has very strong political views and I live in Washington. And so for me, um, I, I, politics is actually something I don't, it's not at the top of my priority and value list. I've always been more humanistic on the ground with schools, organizations, community organizations, nonprofits, and, um, advocating for humans at that level. Um, and that's just how I've lived my life. So I have not been involved in online wars or conversations about politics. Um, I have watched from the outside a number of people be attacked online for race and class and gender and um, body fat shaming and Weight loss, um, there's been a number of topics that I've seen over the years and I have really not participated. I have not felt like I needed to jump in and fix anything. And then this past summer, I was part of a group and I mentioned to the group leader, oh, um, in this group, I just want to say that I I actually don't want to mentor or coach or advise anyone in this group. I really want to take a break from that role. And she said, great, I don't want you to do that either. Like I'm here, you know, holding the space for the group. And um, sometimes, and then she said to me also about the people pleasing, you don't have to do that in this group and be the people pleaser and and be friends with everyone. Because my biggest reason I didn't want to be in the group was that I felt at capacity for my professional relationships. And I'm often in business groups where people have a lot less experience. 
And because I am a former Enneagram 2 uh, identifying, which is people pleasing and service and care and giving that I have this tendency to do that. And so I was just stating from the beginning, I don't want to do this here. I really want to start to move past feeling responsible for people. I am not responsible for people, their well-being, their, their feelings, their emotions. It's not my job. Um, and I really felt that way when I closed the studio three years ago, Um, I, you know, one of the reasons I didn't want to close it was because I felt responsible for kids and family yoga in Washington, D.C. And that's just ridiculous. That is not my responsibility. I am not, you know, here to help and please everybody else all the time. It's just, um, in Buddhism, there's a lot of writing about this being a very narcissistic way of living when you really think about, oh, I'm the one who should fix everything. I'm the one who should do this, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm the one who should change the world. It's actually, it's very aligned with narcissism. So I've noticed that I'm breaking away from that. I'm letting other people have their own experiences, giving less feedback or comments. Yet I'm still noticing this desire to have things wrapped up in a bow to make sure that everybody is okay at the end. Um, And so you've heard us talk before in the boundaries episodes. I did two, one with um, Sharon Pope and one with... Ramsey Buckley, um, about the what do boundaries feel like. And so let's just sit with these again, <laughs> these um, principles. It is not my job to fix others. It is okay if others get angry. It is okay to say no. It is not my job to take responsibility for others. I don't have to anticipate the needs and desires of others. It is my job to make me happy. Nobody has to agree with me. I have a right to my own feelings. I am enough. So this sits right here next to my desk and I review it when I'm writing emails or seeing something online or talking with someone. This is a really interesting place to to think and wander around because there's no right way. And we have to move in and out in our relationships with awareness. Did what I say hurt somebody? And if, if that's true, do I stand behind what I said out of love and compassion and generosity because of something I do believe in? So this whole idea that I would say something or do something that would make that would be controversial or that someone could actually disagree with has been on my mind for the past 3 years. And thinking about in the in your real life, you know, I think FOMO is something that people are very familiar with, the fear of missing out, but deeper than that is the fear of missing out because others feelings or because they're upset with you or I don't know. Again, there's so many ways that this FOMO plays into it also because people pleasers tend to have this FOMO um, in a lot of areas for a number of reasons, right? Not wanting to feel out, not wanting to feel disconnected, especially if you're in groups where people are gossipy um, or wondering where you are. But this is also part of it is like as I've dropped the people pleasing, I've dropped, I just don't experience that FOMO. And that's really what Randy's talking about when she's talking about your values as verbs and like living your values. 
Um, this is a layered process. This can take time, you know, in your journal, in your meditation, in walks in the woods, like what is really going on for you? Why are you afraid of missing out on something if you see someone and if you're not living in alignment in your own life, then it can come up more and more. Um, and also in the unsubscribe. So in the business realm, when people unsubscribe from a podcast or an email, this is another area where it can be a really good thing because if we're not in alignment, if we're not, you know, I'm not saying things that are helping you or, or on the other end when I'm subscribing to someone and eventually I'm like, I'm just not interested in this product or this language or I'm simplifying to unsubscribe. It's not personal. I have to take responsibility for my own input and my own distractions, just like you guys do, right? Like we practice every day being all over the place, being distracted. And one of the things that I really want us all to do is to practice focus and awareness and clarity. And that takes simplifying, decluttering, unsubscribing, right? So that we can have lives that we can work with energetically and we can manage. And so that means um, not taking things personally when someone else is standing up for themselves. Um, and as someone who loves people so much, you know, at times that can just be overwhelming. And I have definitely taken it personally when someone has put up boundaries. And so part of my practice is now not to do that, is to let them, oh, this is them doing what I am doing, right? Creating more of my own deep, cultivating these inner relationship to myself. So, and sometimes that means cutting out a lot of noise. And sometimes that means people or news or information so that I can digest what's actually happening in my life. Um, Because there's no way that I can take care of or be responsible for all of these people, all of these um, relationships that I'm in. I just can't give them all the depth and the love and the knowledge and the information and the care and attention that I want. I mean, it's just like in a school, right? If you have 1,500 kids at the school, it's a lot to manage all of those emotional needs. But if you have 300 kids in a school, you have more space to breathe and see them. And so that's how I feel about my life is that there was a point in my life when I wanted 1,500 people and I, you know, I wanted all the people and I wanted to go all the things. And Oh, now I realize like, and I think this comes with aging and with being an elder is like, oh, right. It's actually depth. It's connection. It's like, I want to love a few people really well. And because I have a lot of kapha, which in Ayurveda is the earthy nature, I have a lot of that element in my system, earth and stickiness and holding on to. Like, it's sad for me to lose relationships. I'm not someone who can just let them go and float away, but I also realize it's part of life and I'm owning that part of it. And so there's a bunch of um, really wonderful meditations that we've been doing in the Compassion Challenge that can help you when the relationship is ending, but you um, aren't sure. You still want to love the human. You just want to end the relationship or you want to break from the relationship. We've been doing some of that in the Compassion Challenge. Email me if you want me to send you some of those, okay? Um, All right, so standing up for what you believe, not just online, but also face-to-face, This is just something I want to bring up because 
I think it's very easy for people to jump online and comment on things and not actually see the human. Mm. I'm always going to ask people, you know, go behind the scenes and connect with the human. It's not easy, but it takes practice. And once you do it, you'll get better at it. Um, I think at this point, that's really kind of all I wanted to say about this is that Thinking about people-pleasing, thinking about where in your life it might have come from. Was it a role in your family? Is it aligned with your Enneagram type? Um, You know, where and why are you... You know, maybe you're not. Maybe you're someone who's who who has always been able to let people have their own experience and emotions. I think control plays big into this um, people-pleasing and wanting things, wanting others to be okay and being afraid of confrontation and afraid of conflict. Listen, many of us did not grow up in homes where we had healthy models for this, where we did not grow up in homes with cognitive behavior therapy, you know, CBT running the ship. Many of us had to learn these practices. We've had to study this, but we have a real opportunity to change, elevate. That's my word of the year. And that's what I'm really on a mission for. Elevate, elevate the Uh, conversations, elevate how we're living, elevate our vibration, elevate, elevate. So these things that are stagnant or not feeling good anymore, when we're talking about our relationships, how do we elevate with love and kindness and compassion, not with I'm better or let's continue to hold on to this thing. And that takes having tough conversation, nonviolent communication, or go back and listen to the Cynthia Kane episode, how to talk like a Buddhist, how to communicate like a Buddhist. Like, Um, I just think this topic is, as you can tell, so layered. There's so many facets to this in terms of how it connects to our relationships. And I do believe that relationships, how our relationships are, really indicate what's happening in our lives. So I just, to bring this to a close, I just want to have compassion for those of us who've been living this way, who've wanted to make others happy, maybe who've been practicing a lot of overcare for others, and not and using that time for others rather than cultivating our own relationship to ourselves to our own life to our own um values and and really working that is we can do this right is that we can do it with love and compassion we don't have to hurt people in order to stand up for what we believe and also this also, oh, this also covers the one big area I forgot to mention that I really wanted to mention that Sharon talks about in her episode and I talk about in a lot of my private coaching. Your biz, my biz, God's biz. And so here's the deal. My biz is the stuff I can take care of, be responsible for. I have a choice in how I respond. I have a choice in how I show up for my children and my husband and my friends and my life, how I respond to the emails. It's up to me. That is what I can do. Your biz. If if someone gets upset by something I've done or said, that's their biz, right? Like if I am in an alignment and integrity, meaning I'm speaking my truth, and that person responds in their way and it's triggering for them in some way or they come back and they're not a soft place to land. They're not coming back with understanding. Maybe they're coming back with gaslighting, accusing you, right? They're not listening. They're not saying, I hear you. I hear your perspective. 
um, but they're coming back with, you know, blame and pointing fingers. Um, what I have noticed is that that's their biz. As long as I can still stand by what I've said or done, because it truly does feel in alignment with what I believe or who I am and what I value, that is all I can do. That's my biz. Your biz is what you respond. I have no control over that. And God's biz or universal biz, when we're talking about politics and all of these huge issues in our country right now, in our world that people are really involved with, it's the same thing. Like I can't, there's some things I can do with my own life and my own writing and my own showing up in parenting. But in universal biz, there are things that are happening. And let's be clear that have always been happening in terms of death and war and humans playing power tricks and being greedy and valuing money over education, right? Look at how much people in on Wall Street make versus their teachers in our classrooms. I mean, you know, this is our world. This is how it is working. And there are pieces of universal biz that I, I really have no control over. There's just things I cannot do with that. And so um, every day when I have these conversations or discussions or things get heated, I really drop it down to my biz. What am I responsible for? And do I feel good about this situation at the end? And so there's been a number of situations over the past six months, especially again, now that I'm sober, I actually am finding my, um, so your third chakra is your hara um, in Eastern philosophy. It's also your gut. It's also uh, your brain in Eastern philosophy. Mine is so strong right now because I'm not congesting it with alcohol. I think my body was processing it and digesting alcohol for so long, even though it wasn't a lot, even if it was a glass of wine a day or two a day or every other day, it was still consistent. Like consistently for many years, I drank alcohol and my bo- it really impacted my body. Um, even though I was not an alcoholic or a drunk or all of that, at least in my 30s and 40s, I wasn't. Um, my teens and my 20s, eh, I, that's debatable. But <coughs> um, as an adult, as a parent, I was not an alcoholic. I don't identify as that. But alcohol was affecting my system deeply. Um, mm, so physically, what I've noticed is the strengthening of voice and power. Third chakra is power. And that area is so clean and, and, and not um, filled up by any additional excess processing. So that's where I'm getting all this extra energy for writing and work and play. And I'm about to head out into the woods. It's a gorgeous day. But the point is that I'm able to speak more clearly now, and this is ruffling. This is not going well in a lot of relationships. I'm just going to be honest. And by going well, I mean things are not staying the same. Things are changing and transforming, and um, some relationships are, are that have been a long time are changing, and some are getting better. Oh my gosh, I have so many that are expanding, and I have some that are fading and dissolving. And this is just watching this flow of it. But because I'm not clouded with my connection to my values um, and my actions and what I'm thinking, it's just fascinating to see when I go back and look at how I respond to some of these situations, I'm really standing in who I am. I'm not wavering. I'm not being confusing or mixed messages. I'm able to state where I am and what I feel and 
have love and compassion, especially if anybody is hurt. Um, And then express that. I'm sorry if you're hurt. My intention is not to hurt you. My intention is to elevate this type of conversation. And to be honest, this is all I've ever wanted to do. I just wasn't strong enough before. And by strong enough, I mean I was still wearing a lot of people pleasing. I was still afraid of what others would think. I don't know even now who are others. Who are those people? And what are they judging me for? Living a full life, trying to help humanity, raising my kids awake and consciously in a world that feels overwhelming for so many, you know, possibly homeschooling my kid because I know the public schools aren't, aren't, aren't educating our kids for the future that we're stepping into. Come on now. Who are these other people that I need to be afraid of, you know? And how can we hold each other in conversation and elevate for humanity? And that means that we have to, these ways of being, this people pleasing that I was living under especially when running a neighborhood business where I just wanted people, you know, I wanted, as the owner, you have this responsibility for a certain type of personality, especially when you're talking about yoga. And I just really have watched this evolution. I've been studying and learning and practicing. And I hope that one part of today, um, maybe there's one thing that sticks with you. Feel free to email me about it, something you're thinking about, or maybe a way that you used to be a people pleaser and now you're breaking through. I wanted to close today with a healing meditation that I just, it, this sits here right next to my desk too. I love this so much because I do feel <clears throat> that aging is a real gift. A healing meditation I rejoice in each passing year. My wealth of knowledge grows and I am in touch with my wisdom. I feel the guidance of angels every step of the way. I know how to live. I know how to keep myself youthful and healthy. My body is renewed at every moment. I am vital and vivacious, healthy, fully alive and contributing to my last day. I am at peace with my age. I create the kind of relationships I want to have. I create the prosperity I need. I know how to be triumphant. My later years are my treasure years, and I become an elder of excellence. I contribute to life in every way I can, knowing that I am love, joy, peace, and infinite wisdom now and forevermore. And so it is by Louise Hay. All right. Hi, everyone. It's Pleasant, and I'm here with my friend Francine. Say hi, Francine. Hi. And we're going to talk today about people-pleasing because I have done a solo segment for you guys about people-pleasing, and afterwards, it just felt not complete. And I really felt like after I wanted to have more of a conversation with someone about it and kind of ping ideas off of one another. And so I put um, an ask out to our Lola community and Francine raised her hand. So thank you very much for raising your hand. Sure. (laughs) Um, To talk about people pleasing. And I also posted that same week on Facebook asking sort of the hive, what do you guys think about people pleasing? Uh, Are any of you, uh, what do you think about it? How has it showed up in your life? So I want to read to you guys a few of the responses we got that can get Francine and I sort of thinking, and then we'll follow up on them. So one of the responses was, I think it's a toxic thing that has been put off 
on women for far too long. Be nice, think of others' needs, caretake, and don't be selfish. I've been working on undoing this in myself for many years. All, always another layer of ways I put others first, even to my own detriment. Um, then what I responded to her was something that I noticed, which was that you can be a people pleaser and be very competent. So I'd never really thought about this before because I hadn't thought of myself as a people pleaser because I have a lot of um, confidence in my humanness and human nature and work, but actually like self-esteem, confidence and people pleasing are not necessarily related. So that's something that I sort of am able to now pull apart a little bit. Um, and then this person said, all levels of self-esteem struggle with this, which makes sense. People pleasing is ultimately about seeking external approval. And it's important to understand the root of one sense of self to know if it's built upon the approval of others. I bet the women that are given the most shit as powerful, aggressive leaders are the least beholden to people, to pleasing others. They are my heroes. So um, this again, and then there were some articles. So I'm going to share one more. Um, I'm working with a lot of people pleasing versus showing love and balancing the needs of those close with close to me with my own. As a wife and mother, I struggle with the balance of my needs versus theirs. The old adage of apply your oxygen mask first doesn't always work in this scenario. At least it doesn't always feel authentic to me. That said, I accept and relate to the idea that I am better, I am a better fill in the blank, when I feel whole, supported, nurtured, which is often an inside job. This is what we we're just talking about. I think like so many other things in life, for me, it comes down to intention. Is my intention in this moment benevolent to myself or others? Or is based in fear or greed? I also put a lot of energy into raising my daughter to be aware of her own needs and creating space for herself while being kind and respectful to those around her. This is a very gray issue in a little mind that developmentally thinks in black and white. This goes a little outside of people pleasing, but it's all part of the same picture. She also, I had shared that I get stomach aches when I think someone's mad at me. She said, I also get stomach aches. So does my daughter when I sense that someone is mad at me. It's a terrible feeling and not always accurate. Ah, so with some of those comments, Francine, talk to me about your habits and patterns, what you notice and what you've learned. So I totally relate to that stomach ache. I mean, it's the slightest thing, sometimes even just the idea like let's say i write something on a listserv that um is strong like if i hit send all of a sudden i'll get a stomach ache thinking oh my gosh maybe did i offend somebody and like it's just so immediate um and then i've been working with that voice and kind of trying to use self-compassion and remind myself in that part of me that it's okay, even if I did offend somebody. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with me, that it just means I'm human. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea that not everybody has to like me, like that's huge for me. I, I have always sort of lived in this fantasy world that, oh, everybody's just supposed to like each other. And part of my job has been the people pleaser, the fixer, the, um, you know, how do I make things better for everybody to the detriment of myself 
very much to the detriment of myself for the for the past I want to say I don't know how many years but I really have become aware of it in the past year mm-hmm. that I have you know um I guess it's 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 sort of like a martyr right like you do all this stuff and then you feel terrible and and also in in learning more about the enneagram and my place on that realizing that there's a difference between doing something um out of caring and love which i do but i also do things out of um the desire to receive love so you know pulling those apart um has been an, has been new and interesting to try to say okay what's my motivation behind this is my motivation just to be the person i want to be in the world who is giving and loving and generous or is my motivation to um you know make people like me and be and be a people pleaser oh and i think it's so interesting because with the motivation piece like in my experience the habit of overcaring and caretaking um, and serving others to the detriment of my own health or energy or well-being turned into a lot of resentment and a lot of like my inner feelings were congested and tight, which actually is one of the reasons I think I was drinking a lot when I was teaching in DC public schools because it was so, um, it was like so much service and giving because of the nature of my work and how I was framing where I taught and how I thought that show, that that meant anything in the world, but it was exhausting. And instead of identifying that and being able to touch in with that, I was like overworking and then over caring and then not able to handle any of that. And sort of the quickest fix would be like, let's just have a glass of wine. Because <laughs> I didn't know how to deal with that all you know, and it felt, uh, very painful to, why does it feel painful to, to say I need help? Yeah. Um, I think for me, it's painful to say I need help because, um, my role in my family was always the helper. Mm. And not only was that my role and that's how I got attention, But also, I think that often the help didn't come, right? So the idea that I need help and I'm vulnerable and I need help and then I don't get the help I need Mm -hmm. makes it really hard to reach out and ask for help. Mm -hmm. And and like, if you have to be strong as a helper in a family dynamic and develop personality habits because of other personalities and characteristics, not really because of your true nature. Um, I think that it also, for me, speaks to the less than, like, well, I'm so strong and I'm so independent and I can take care of everybody else, um, but I don't need you. Like, I don't need, you know, people who need people are weak. Like, that's, I think, subconsciously what was happening because I was so strong. However, I will say fast forward however many years and like, oh, asking for help and receiving help and giving love and receiving love, this energy spiral that happens um, is a practice and is a muscle and can be learned. I mean, I think that's so freeing for us to really know that like no matter what you have been playing out in your life, that 
there we have some real tools right now that we can work with to help um, practice a new way of being. And again, like everything, how I always say, like, see how it feels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. See how it feels. And, you know, it's a gift to other people to give them the opportunity to step up and be a helper. Um, and I think that it does, um, it, it's interesting because I think for me, I get confused with the vulnerability because um, I have been rejected for my vulnerability in the past. I think because it's been like a lot, right? It's sort of too been much. too much or maybe, maybe it was um, the energy was not only vulnerability, but was kind of a fix me, feed me, you know, give me. Um, well, I want to go back for a second and just clarify the too much. I don't mean that you're too much. I mean, was it, um, the, the trust wasn't there for the person. And so it, it, the overshare, I'm asking a question. Did you feel like maybe you overshared, but the trust wasn't there with the person? So that's when it, that's when you get labeled too much. It could be. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm the type of person that goes deep quick, yeah. right? I, I'm not going to talk about the weather. Yeah, same. same. <laughs> not into. <So>, <laughs> yeah. So then the you know the I I think what happened is I pulled back and I was not vulnerable with people. I was just mm. um, the the giver and the yeah. I don't know if you ever if you ever have this um, experience where you'll be talking to people and you're you know, you're asking them questions and you're interested in them and it never comes back to you, mm -hmm. right? That they just, that they're happy to keep talking about themselves and they're never like, hey, so tell me anything about you. So I feel like I got in that role of helping that, helping other people feel good and comfortable and, and know that I was interested in them. Mm -hmm. So then I kind of stopped being vulnerable myself and sharing. Um, so there's that middle ground. How do I show up and let people know that I have needs too without, without, you know, coming on too strong or making them responsible for me, right? Yeah. How has this played out in motherhood for you? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, that's been my biggest, um, like with all of us, like it's, it's my biggest area of learning and growth. Um, and it's been, um, I am, I mean, I definitely overgave as a mom. Um, just, I had a, my daughter was a very high need baby and I sort of surrendered to the fact that she was a high need baby and I had to, she had to be on me all the time and she was nursing constantly forever and she never slept through the night. Um, and that I had to be this, you know, I had to be constantly giving of myself all the time. Mm -hmm. And the way it played out when she was little is, I mean, I was a mess. I was like so frazzled mm -hmm. and that I didn't have anything for anybody except her. I was exhausted all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was, I think it was really, it just, there was nothing else left and I did not take care of myself at all. I didn't, um, I didn't go out and do anything. I didn't take yoga. I didn't do anything because the time I was gone, I was working 
I wasn't even working that much, but that was my time away, right? I, I couldn't have any other time where I was away. Um, but the thing that I've, and then I continued to overgive. Um, and then they hit teenagerhood and they don't let you overgive anymore. I mean, they, you know, she pulls away. She lets me know she needs her independence. She's happy to um, you know, let me do things that she doesn't want to do. Um, but she, she lets me know that there needs to be some space and I need to stop. And so I've been, which is great because I've been really working on getting a life. Um, so that's, that's, it's happening all at the same time, but I've also been super, um, cognizant of not raising a people pleaser. Yeah. Right. And it's interesting because in the world, I see that it's hard for people that she's not a people pleaser. She definitely is not. She could care less what you think about her. Um, and it's strong and it's wonderful, but it definitely puts people off because she's a girl, right? And she's yeah. supposed so what, to- Tell me a specific example. Like, how do you notice that? Or how do they respond to it? Um, I'm trying to think of something. Or any patterns you notice about how they, I don't know, how they act, how they respond to it because of this girl, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's always sort of been there with my family. Like, um, you know, aren't you gonna make her, um, I, I, my mom like once ordered like, some stuff from her, their Girl Scout troop or whatever was selling, and she didn't get a thank you from her, you know, 13-year-old granddaughter. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, mom, did you do it for the thank you or did you do it because you wanted to be supportive and help? And she's like, well, I want to be supportive, but I'm not going to keep doing stuff if she doesn't, if she's not, mm -hmm. you know, um, if she's not thankful. And I said, well, that's okay. You don't have to keep doing stuff. Um, I, I would like her to be polite and I would like her to acknowledge you but I'm not going to make a really big deal of it. It's not that she doesn't care. It's that she, it's just not in her frame of reference. She just put in the order and that was the end of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and not again, not that I don't want to be to thank people, but the idea that it was super important that my mom's feelings were so hurt mm -hmm. and that this is something she should do. Mm -hmm. I have another, um, friend manners. Part of it's manners. Part of it is, um, I don't mean that rudely because my kids don't do thank you notes either anymore. But, uh, I, I was just asking if it's a like the proper, this is when you get a gift, you should give. That was my question, you know, part of it. Um, but it's happened in like a lot of, a lot of situations. We actually had, um, a really good friend when, um, when we were little, I was really good friends with the mom and my daughter was really good friends with the daughter. Um, and this was a super horrible, painful, terrible event, um, is that we were, we actually, what had happened? Um, my daughter was really, was really upset about something. She was mad at her friend and she was crying. She was five mm -hmm. and she was crying and she was, she was throwing a fit basically. And, um, and I was, and we were all in the car and I was saying that, um, you know, I was trying to calm my daughter down and get her to just chill out and realize that whatever was going on wasn't such a big deal. Mm -hmm. But my friend was like, 
you're, you need to tell her this is not something she can be mad about. And I was like, you know me, you've known me for five years. I am never going to tell my kid she can't have a feeling. Now she shouldn't, you know, she shouldn't be ruining everybody else's day, but she's kind of out of control right now. There's not much I can do until we get out of the car. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was adamant that I needed to let my daughter know that she couldn't be mad about this mm -hmm. and I wouldn't do it. And she said, you know, your daughter's lovely 99% of the time, but the 1% she's not, I can't handle and we can't be friends anymore. Mm -hmm. I can't have her around my kids. Mm -hmm. And it was like, and it wasn't that she wasn't being a people, it was sort of that, but you know, she was just being who she is. And she's always like that. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that I wasn't, that I wasn't jumping in to make her different and to make her apologize and not have her feelings and not be a nice little girl um, was just, it wasn't acceptable. Mm -hmm. I was a bad parent is what she told me um, because I wasn't making my daughter okay. conform to what she thought. You know, it's just, um, do you see some of your, your daughter's 15, right? Yeah. Do you see her generation? What do you, what are you noticing about her friends and how they talk? And is this evolving? Like, is this sort of people pleasing, uh, in this world where everything is being uprooted? Thank goodness in so many ways, uh, in so many areas. Uh, I was listening to something earlier today that was saying because of like, um, transgender and so much of the this this uh spectrum and flow that we're all living on and wow we're yeah binary and, and we're having all these different feelings that all of these ways of being are merging so some of these these identities that are so tightly wound with females which people pleasing and boundaries and overcare these are like very 50s versions still in my mind of like how we lived in our little homes and never asked for help and wave and didn't like say what was really going on. My grandma always says that she has so many friends who their husbands were cheating or hitting them and nobody talked about it. And everybody did just did the wave and everything's fine. And she, we'd had, um, we saw a few movies together that sort of talked about this. And I said, grandma, what did that feel like? And she said, Plessy, we didn't know. We didn't ask, we didn't know, we didn't talk about it. So I feel like we're so evolved from that. I hope we're so evolved from that and that we're able to expand these ways of being. So I'm so curious if some of these personality types that are so tightly wound with gender and gender roles as they continue to evolve will be changing. So what are these girls and boys like that she's friends with? Yeah, I think that's true. I think it is changing. As, as we write the whole masculine and feminine thing starts to flow and be intertwined, it is changing. She's um, particularly strong, and I hear from her friends and her friends' moms um, that she is a force to be reckoned with, mm -hmm. um, and, and they're, they're not upset about that. They admire that. Mm -hmm. I think she's stronger in that sense than most of her friends. Um, but I hear them talking about things that I never would have talked about. And they're really, um, you know, it's, it, she has, 
one friend who's much more of a people pleaser and her mom is too. Mm. Um, and her mom is, has raised her that way. They're, they, they were having well, a party. Her mom has raised her that way. What does that mean? Like very, you know, you always, um, you kind of put yourself, you put yourself aside to, 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 to make sure other people are happy. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, and while I've taught my, I have been very conscious of helping her be aware of other people's feelings, um, and understand where they're coming from and, and have compassion for them. Her and her friend were planning a party. Um, I think it was new year's and she was saying that this was very interesting. She was inviting, um, one of her good friends who's a boy. And they were saying, well, we don't want to invite his girlfriend because every time he's with her, first of all, we don't really like her and she does drugs and she's not, you know, she's not someone we hang around. But when he's with her, he doesn't pay any attention to us. And I said, well, you can't really invite a guy and not his girlfriend. They know her. Like, you can't expect him to come without her. And they're like, that's okay. He can choose. He doesn't have to come. We won't be offended. Mm. And if he chooses to come, he can't bring her. The end. And I really struggled with that because I was like, you're going to look like the bitch. You're going to look like the person that can't handle this. And I was all torn up about it. And um, mm. this kid had no problem with coming to the party without his girlfriend. And he was like, you know, that's who he wanted to be with. And, and it was all fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny how we just don't know, like as things are evolving and transforming in ways of being, and we think people are going to respond a certain way and then they don't. And especially with the boundaries that people are having, this comes up in business a lot. I've talked about this in the podcast that when I'm in uh, entrepreneurial or business groups with women who've had businesses for a long time, um, they, I have noticed over the past few years that there's a real tendency to complain about um, millennials boundaries because millennials will not work after five or on the weekend. Uh, and these women get really upset because they're like, you have to work all the time. Like this is part of the grind. This is part of working hard. This is part, like, it's so triggering because they're still working nights and weekends too, or even if they're not, and they gave that up, like they feel like it's a rite of passage. And this is part of what we're, what we talk about in Lola is this whole masculine idea that everything that's worth anything, you have to work hard to get it. And that has really pulled from feminine knowing because some of our, a lot of our intuitive qualities have been labeled as weak or less than. And so they've really been pulled from us so that things that are easy don't feel as rewarding because there's not this whole effort, right? And that's just baloney in so many ways that really tapping into your strengths and living through them however you can and whatever that looks like, like ease can be joyful and wonderful. And it doesn't have to be so hard to do good things in the world. And uh, I just think it's like so interesting how layered boundaries and what we think people will see and then how it triggers our own fear of being liked or not being liked, right? Because if we're saying to our kids, you have to do this and you can't not do that, it's because in our world, we probably had an experience where someone wasn't invited and then they got hurt or, you know, all these, all these fears that we have in the stories that we tell. Right, right. Or that, or that she's going to be on, you know, if she's a bitch, she's yeah. not going to be invited. 
yeah, right? Totally, where somebody's totally. going to see her that way. And she was like, that's fine. I wouldn't want to go to that party anyway. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm like, and I tell her, you are so evolved. Like you, you ha are so, mm, so much, um, you have so much more self-awareness than, yeah. than I had, not only at your age, than I had five years ago, right? Do you think she always had that? Was it her nature or were there a lot of intentional things that you did to create that? I think it's both. I mean, I think that um, it, it's part of her nature because of when she's born and all of that. Um, and I was very intentional. Like, for me, her life had to be so much different than my life. And, um, it, I mean, to a fault, that was my goal, was that she be taken care of, that she feel loved, that she um, have opportunities that I didn't have, and that she be, that she know, that she would know she didn't have to do anything to be loved. Right. So now it's funny because we'll still, let's say you're at Thanksgiving dinner at somebody's house. And my go-to is to be in the kitchen cleaning up. Right. Because I'm a people pleaser and this is what you do. Yeah. And she'll be like, I'm bored. And I'm like, well, why don't you help? And she's like, yeah, I don't feel like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, I, and then I'm like, Oh damn that, you know, that's not kind of what I wanted. I wanted yeah. there to be a balance. So it's very interesting. Yeah. And, and I think saying that, right, like naming it and identifying that and being able to have that awareness of like, there's like, I, again, like anything, either extreme is not always appropriate. It's so hard. I find myself in that same situation because I'm so, also because, you know what the other piece of it is that I sort of put into the Facebook post that I said about our Enneagram and our types. But if you, so I identify most closely currently as a four and so we don't like small talk. So if you're in a situation where there's a lot of small talk, my, my habit or my auto will just be go to do something because I don't, it, I prefer to do that than to talk about the weather or to talk about something that's really not, um, I don't, not relational usually. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and so that habit of always taking care of and cleaning and doing came because I didn't want to be having those uh, not authentic sort of deep conversations. So that was one way that I was perpetuating this in Enneagram 2, service, serve, giver, helper. It wasn't actually like who my core was. It's just I played that out because I, I have this, uh, fours have an inherent, like they really feel like they're alone and different and unique and like they don't like to be like everybody else and with everybody else unless there's like real soul connection. So, oh, it's like, there's so many layers to why we end up doing certain things. And then we play that out over so many years, even if it's not true to us. And so being able to pull at and pick at like what's really happening here. And is this something that I truly value? And is this person's opinion something that I truly value? I think that Brene Brown's work around vulnerability and shame and being in the arena and really pulling apart the they that's judging you and they that are mad at you and what are they doing anyway has been so powerful for like shifting my mindset away from being afraid of them, whoever they are, because I just 
being me and doing the best I can to be me every day authentically, like that's the way. Right. <laughs> right. And if they don't like it, like I, I don't know who they are to be for, first of all, like I need to name them and see their faces and then really ask like, well, are you showing up? And not as a judgment or a blame, but really like, are you living in a way that feels aligned with my values? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, because if, if that's the they, the truth is that a large percentage of the time, you wouldn't want to hang out with them anyway. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Or go to that party that you have FOMO about, or, you know, there's um, this relationship that I've been talking a lot about, and the truth is, like, like I really value service and creativity and ideas. Like I want to be around people where we can do this and have these deep conversations and that you could ask me a question and I'm asking you a question. And like, there's this back and forth and I have a relationship that's in, um, that's having some trouble and it's like, we can't, we're not quite speaking the same language and it's becoming harder to have these kind of conversations because we seem to be in little bit different realms and worlds right now. And so we're going to like weather and food and sort of very shallow conversations because that's the only middle ground we have. So when I was journaling about this relationship recently, I was like, oh my goodness, like this isn't even one that feels energizing anymore. This isn't even a relationship that feels whole in my heart. And then just sitting with like, what does it feel? Like when you talk about, you know how in yoga, they always talk about surrender and let go. This is what it really means. It's not with hatred or anger or like Marie Kondoing your whole house. It's really about like your relationships too. Like, is it time to let something go that's not truly um, energizing you? And it's tricky and complicated, you know? Right. And the truth is, you know, if it's not energizing you, it's probably not energizing her either. Totally. So you know, what's the reason to hold on to it? Right. Um, is it because it's too painful to let it go? Is it because there's history? Is it because, you know, you don't want to hurt someone's feelings? Right, right. Yeah. I was Googling around on the what's a people pleaser because I'm always curious about how these things are defined. And so I just want to also, I'm going to go over these bits that Psychology Today said. Um, and then if you have any comments or anything you want to say, Francine, I want to open it up to you. So it said... Um, number one, you pretend to agree with everyone. <laughs> number two, you feel responsible for how other people feel. Number three, you apologize often. Number four, you feel burdened by the things you have to do. Number five, you can't say no. Number six, you feel uncomfortable if someone is angry at you. Number seven, you act like the people around you. Number eight, you need praise to feel good. Number nine, you go to great lengths to avoid conflict. And number 10, you don't admit when your feelings are hurt. So what's so interesting to me as I'm sitting here and reading this to you is that, again, like everything that we're talking about and, and always have insights on, it's not black or white. It's not right or wrong. You're not a people pleaser or not a people pleaser. That of those 10 I just read, I would say that I identify with probably three or four. And five years ago or 10 years ago, I probably identified with six or seven. And so like anything, it's a flow and it's an awareness and there's not a yes or a no. 
or all in. It's, it's more holistic than that. There's pieces of you that probably are and pieces of you that are probably not. And areas where you, you know, like the, uh, what did we both agree on that we feel uncomfortable if someone's angry at you? Like, that's also because that's, we love people so much that we don't want to hurt people. So right. these things are layered, right. you know? Yeah. What did you notice about those 10? Oh, I, I think I had eight or nine out of them. Um, and it's gotten, it's interesting because it's certain, like, like I used to, I was never a conflict avoider. I was like right in there for conflict. Oh. But as I've gotten older, yeah. I've realized that um, not only is conflict not always appropriate, but, you know, that I had this, I had a, a whole Jewish New Yorker way of being in conflict, right? Yeah. So, so I was very aggressive. So along with that, I've, you know, learned to, I, I, like I'm, I'm studying nonviolent communication so that I can be more present in conflict and not be harmful, right? There's a way to be in conflict that's not harmful. Um, but, but that's a part of me. I used to not mind conflict. Now I'm very afraid of conflict because I feel like I don't know what to do anymore. If I can't be an aggressive person, then I don't know what to do. So now I avoid it. Mm. Um, I say, I'm sorry too much. I'm working on that. I noticed that in my daughter. It, she doesn't, yeah, she says it a lot just because it's a habit. Um, or maybe because yeah. you've heard me say it so much. I apologize. I definitely feel responsible for people and their feelings. Um, the one I didn't, what was the second one? Um, hold on. Find it. You feel responsible for how other people feel. You pretend to agree with everyone is the first. That I don't do. Yeah, I was like, I don't think that's you. I've seen you. Yeah. And that's what I like about being friends with people. I actually really enjoy being friends with people who are not people pleasers because there's so much more dynamic energy in so many of these pieces. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 That, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, and that's where, right, that's where if you can figure out how to have that conversation with someone where you don't agree um, and, and still be you know, still, still be with them, still be in relationship with them. Yeah. Um, yeah, the rest of it, I, I really did. It really related to the most, most of the rest of that. Um, and it was, it was, you know, this was something that I learned very young. I remember my, I remember my kindergarten teacher. I was the kid in school that, um, they would send me to the office to get the, um, what did they call it? The dittos done, right? I'd be done my work on time or before everybody else. It'd be ahead. I'd have straight A's and you know all the excellence on my report card. They'd send me to the office. They would send me to watch, they would have me watch the kids that were in remedial learning, remedial reading. Like I was that kid and I thrived on it because that's where I got attention. Yeah. So it started to be reinforced and reinforced and reinforced. And so that's where this all came from. It was, it was the way I got love. And so now I'm taking it apart and trying to figure out who I am without all of these mm -hmm. sort of manipulations. Mm -hmm. And I think that the healthy zone 
when it's actually part of who you are is that teaching leading so you do this right so tell people what you do yeah i'm a child and family therapist and i'm a parenting coach yeah um and a preschool consultant and so like last night i was i was giving a talk at a preschool uh, and it is interesting because they asked me to, to do an hour and a half talk on discipline and as i'm working out this talk and working it out and trying to write it and i was like wait a minute this is like a five minute conversation. Like this is not an hour and a half talk. And so I went in and I, and they wanted me to tell them what to do. And I, I, they had the chair set up where I was up front and I moved it into a circle. And I said, you know, I know you want me to tell you how to discipline your kids and what to do. And the truth is there is no magic bullet. Let's talk about relationships. Yes. And, um, you know, let me, my job is to, I, I've kind of stepped down from the idea that I can tell somebody how to do it, but let's find the way that works for you, that yeah. you can have the best relationship with everybody in your life. So good. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for being there for them. Um, is there anything else? So someone's listening to this, they've heard the two segments. So they heard the segment, the solo segment, where I just kind of talk about all the layers that are happening and the physical sensations. And we're seeing that it's related to primary family society. What do you want to say to the women who are listening, who this has possibly triggered something in them? They might even now be feeling a little sweaty <laughs> or uncomfortable because they're like, wow, I was just called out on something, you know, something that, that we said touched them. What do you want to say to them to close? Um, I think that for me, I am learning to be in that discomfort, that in that discomfort is where the, um, the conversation is, it's where the thoughtfulness is, it's where the decision is. Like for so many years, I just wanted to push the discomfort away and keep running on that treadmill and doing what I think I'm doing, I'm supposed to be doing. So if, you know, learning to breathe into that discomfort and, and not, and even if, you know, you're, you're like, oh my God, I didn't realize I'm a people pleaser and look what I've been doing my whole life. Like there's no, and, and I'm saying this to myself as well, right. Right. right? There's no, there doesn't have to be shame in that, that, that this is all, this all happened for reasons and, and that this is an opportunity to decide how you want to show up. Yeah. and decide how you want to be at every moment because it's it's you're i'm still not going to be perfect right i don't even know what that is right right well for a long time i thought i did you know and i thought if i could just achieve the perfection and what I is would, that though that's what i mean it's like when we pick at it it's like the day like what is it it would be everybody loved me and i would i would not say the wrong thing and i wouldn't hurt somebody's feelings and yeah and who's everybody? Like, again, like these, these, these layers of like the stories that we're trying to achieve without the clarity of like what's real and what's right in front of us. It's just been a really powerful technique as I've done my own healing on this because I have to, I'm just very mindful now of these general statements like failure or everybody or perfection or my help my sorry my house doesn't look perfect you know like i hear that a lot if i go to someone's house and i'm like what does that even mean because my idea of perfect 
is not your idea. Like well, what you grew up in is different than I grew up in. And once we start to see that there's actually no, these are not actually benchmarks or milestones that can be met by humans because they're so different based on your human experience. So freeing. Right. Right. I, I think as you move through, I think the thing that I just want to close saying is like, as you investigate people pleasing and releasing it, I hope that everyone has an understanding of how complicated and layered societal, patriarchal, like all the ways that it has affected gender, relationship, caregiving, uh, you know, taking care of children and sick parents as, as our uh, male spouses and counterparts rise up and help out more at home because we're in the workforce more, like all these things that are happening um, we're getting uncomfortable because things are changing and shifting and we're being called to rise up to be elevated for our youth and our future. And I think that's a good thing. And I'm excited to be on the transition team because that's what I feel like I'm on. We're on the transition team. We're not stuck in the past and we're not fully evolved in the future. And that this is a, can be a rather uncomfortable time to be alive because we're on the transition team, but we're on it. So let's do this. <laughs> yeah. And thank you. You're not just on it, baby. You're like at the front of the line. You're, <laughs> you're making the waves. No way. I don't want to be alone up there. I am linking arms. I'm like, you come with me. You come with me. Don't leave me alone up here. <laughs> well, and that, and that is, I mean, that I, that is one of your gifts is that you are really good at bringing people along and including oh, them and sharing it. So, so fun. There's, I don't want to do it alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you for coming on and being so honest and open with your life. I really appreciate it. Where can people find you for some parent coaching? Oh, thank you. Um, my website is um, my name, Francine Ronis, R-O-N-I-S dot com. And my email is the same, Francine at Francine Ronis dot com. Um, my phone number is 571-213-9215. There you go. Awesome. Thanks, Francine. Thank you. Have a thank great you. day. You too.